0: Don't know why, but I'm feeling so sad.
1: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Kansas City jazz singer Ebony Fondren. She has been quite busy lately, and as usual, bringing folks her unique voice and spin on jazz. She got her real vault into the jazz world through the great Everett Devan, and over the years, she has woven a very cool story through clubs all over Kansas City, like Jardine's and Jilly's. The love of singing has branched out into symphonies and theaters. She has many plans in her future and continues to etch together a very intriguing music and jazz story. Please dig this interview, my friends.
2: First of all, thank you for taking some time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive in right here. And let me ask you, what has been going on with you lately?
0: Oh my gosh, Uh, so much. When I first started in the scene, I was working pretty heavily with Everett. The yeah. band, and then in the, in 2012 I got into uh, theater, musical theater, and I had a a very full year of that. And then after that I sort of branched out and did my uh, own band thing, Evan and the Ivory, for a while. And at the same time I started working with a wedding band, and I also started doing voiceovers for an agency. Take all of that and smash it all together. <laughs> And you've got jazz, vocalist, wedding band, voiceover, commercial actress, person. So that's what I've been doing for the past, steadily for the last year and a
2: half, two years. So let me kind of pick pick apart each of these pieces here. First piece is the Ebony and the Ivory. Are you releasing any CDs? Is there anything that's coming out as far as like physical or music? Uh,
0: we're working on... Uh, Double-Side at 45 right now, that's going to be released on Sunflower Records uh, with Chris Hazleton's uh, record label. So we've, we've got one side done, and we're working on the other song for the other side, trying to find the right song. And so hopefully, you know, we can get everybody together to get that other side done.
2: Now, is there any projected release for that? And I'd
0: love to get it going for this, this winter. I really would. So Okay.
2: So you had a speedy
0: release in 2014, correct? Uh, it was a very soft uh, pre-release. We had a couple things to listen to, but it's not quite done. It's just kind of one of those things where you know schedules and time and just trying to get together to get the the all the mastering done has just been you know a little more
2: time-consuming
0: than you than you would think, you know. <laughs>
2: absolutely, absolutely. Let me kind of get into your bio here a little bit. You were born and raised in Chicago, correct? Correct. Give me an idea of what it was like, not only in Chicago, but with your family that foster a love of not only jazz, but theater, and kind of the music arts.
0: Growing up, and we were always, there was always music um, around. Um, my aunt sang um, my dad was in a band and he played a uh, synthesizer, guitar, and the congas. And he had a he had a band um, and sort of like uh, I guess you would say like um, Cameo meets uh, the OJ's sort of a you know kind of a groove group. And um, he had a, a a studio in the basement and he was always making music and I was right there sitting on his knee. Um, all up in it. <laughs> um, there's actually some old recordings of, of of me singing. I think I might have been uh, five or six of me singing on a song um, that he wrote. Uh, me and some of my my cousins. You know, I I, I participated in in dance and talent shows and uh, at the community center and theater. I think my my first show I was in fifth grade. I played Humpty Dumpty and Alice Through the Looking Glass. I did some stuff with the uh, local YMCA. Um, I, was, I, I was like that kid who, if there was like a microphone or a stage or a, a something, I was definitely on it.
2: <laughs> right on. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: The one thing that I can remember sticking out, believe it or not, if it wasn't a, a famous singer, it was uh, a psychologist. Um I remember that. Um, but I know that, you know, I wanted to I always want I loved Jennifer Holiday. I had this I had the forty five of And I'm telling you on my little Barbie radio, uh, record player and I remember I was just singing that song over and over again. Um you could not tell me I wasn't Jennifer Holiday when that's just a, what I gave about. Um, I mean, I wanted to do, I knew that I wanted to do something musical. I never had the aspirations to be, like, a big, famous world, like, renowned, like, famous musician, like, a, you know, Beyonce, or to have that caliber of a career. I never really wanted something like that. I just always knew that I wanted to be performing and on stage and, like, you know what I mean? And just having that be a part of me, of my life as a career. Right on. yeah. You know,
2: Talk to me a little bit about your path from Chicago to Kansas City, your education, some journeys, some things that happened along the way. Kind of give me a a tapestry of what happened.
0: When I was probably 9 or 10, I started uh, dance class, and I took tap, jazz, ballet, and acrobatics in Chicago. And then uh, when I was 11, my dad came home, and he said, Hey, guys, uh, we're moving to Oakdale, Louisiana. And we were like, What? (laughs) <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> um, he, he had gotten transferred, and uh, so we left the big city of Chicago, and we moved down to this small little town called Oakdale, and uh, we were there for 18 months, and every 18 months after that, we moved to a different state, um, and I was in a different school, and so it was always the new kid. Through all of that, I learned to, I was still always active, whether it was, Sports or, or some sort of activity that was, you know, available. I learned to, you know, adapt to situations fairly quickly. The downside is I never really got a chance to sort of, like, be at a school at the start of something. So I always missed, like, auditions or tryouts or, you know, I always missed those things because I was transferring either in the middle of the school year toward the end of the school year or something like that. And so, um... We went from Louisiana to West Virginia to Florida to K- to Kansas City. Wow! We settled here and uh, they actually stuck around. I finished school um, at Park Hill and then I went to college, Ottawa University.
2: So, what was your college experience like? How did how did that treat you as far as grooming your voice and getting you kind of ready to jump into the musical arts?
0: Well, it was great, actually. So, I was it was a very small college. So I was able to do absolutely everything that I put my hands on. (laughs) Uh, I was on dance team. I was on student activities. I was in student government. I was in choir. I was in theater and played two sports. So, um, I fell in love with jazz uh while I was in college, a little romantic rendezvous that I was having uh she would play Diana Krall, and I was like, "Who is this person and And uh, why is she singing? She sounds like me <laughs> I've always had a very eclectic musical tastes. I've always been into um you know all all types of activities and things like that, so um, I was able really to sort of experience like country music and, you know, rock music and jazz music and all kinds of things while I was in college and uh, fell in love with jazz and decided that when I moved to Kansas City that I would try to pursue something as a jazz vocalist um, from that. So
2: So was there a particular album that really moved you? to, to really want to get into jazz?
0: It was Diana Cross uh, Nat King Cole tribute uh C D. Um, it's got it had um Aaron Girl for Rhythm, Hit That Dive Jack, um it was all of Nat King Cole's trios. One of it was that C D, another one of her C D that had um all or nothing at all on it and um uh lost mind and I just I loved the, the timbre in her voice. I loved the, the orchestration of the tunes. I loved everything about it and I was like, I'm to sing this music. And you know, I had known about like Billy Ella and you know, Duke like Frank Sinatra like in a general sense, you know. Um, I never studied jazz music or anything like that. I learned everything that I learned uh, initially from you know, um, buying every CD that I could find and, and listening, um, and then there was a there was an application uh, website called AccuRadio.com with yeah. a long long time ago and I could I would type in I would hear an artist and I would type in that person's name and the station would just play music that was similar to that person and other things. And so I spent a lot of time just listening and listening and listening and learning. Um and then I would um when I moved to Kansas City I went to jam sessions and the late night foundation and the Jardines jam sessions and the and then I was uh that's I met uh Everett through Through that, someone told me to go find him at the Jewelry's Jam session. And when I met him, uh, that's when he, he and I really started working on, uh, my, my, you know, my technique and my style. And, and he taught me, you know, basically how to be a jazz singer on a jazz band, uh, on the bandstand. So.
2: So what was your very first jazz live? In this life. Where were you it, at? How did you feel? What was going on? It was
0: the Ebony Fondren Duo. It was in two thousand and two with Everett and myself at the Phoenix. It wasn't a very big crowd. I was really excited. I was nervous. Um and I I just I felt like, Okay, here we go. I'm doing this, you know, and it was it was fun and it's, it was still very new to me, and I was still finding my way, but it was, Everett was like, you know, you can build it as the Ebony Foundry Duo with Everett the and I was like, awesome, you know, because before that, it had always been, you know, Everett the band, and then I would come, and I would sit in, and I would do a few tunes here and there, and, you know, he worked with me a, uh, a lot, and he, and he worked me very hard to uh, to learn and, you know, I had to have so many songs learned, um, before he would, you know, put me on the bandstand. And, uh, and I think a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, younger, you know, people coming up, I would say mainly in the, in the, uh, pop world, I guess, that kind of, that kind of training is invaluable. That's the stuff that I don't think people get. You know, someone who's very disciplined and someone who says, you know, who will humble you, and, and you know, yes, you're great, but you're not ready, you know, kind of a thing, so he made sure that I was ready, and I thank yeah. him for that every day, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the, 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 the jazz, you know, the musician that I am, I mean, I can call, I figure, I feel like I can call myself a musician, even though I don't play an instrument or anything like that, but I feel like I've got that training and that experience, you know, invaluable, I mean, this guy, is, he's a master at what he does, and,
2: well, let me ask you this. Right now, it's it's very evident that there's kind of a renaissance in the Kansas City jazz community with Bobby Watson's UMKC program, the amount of new clubs, and just kind of the fervor you mentioned. Hazleton, Mahari, and a lot of these guys. Do you feel like Kansas City's going through a renaissance with jazz right now?
0: That's a good question. As a vocalist,
2: it's a little bit different. Um,
0: like I do, I do believe that there's great. Opportunities and great music that's happening with a lot of the instrumentalists, uh, a lot of um, you know, good things for them. As a vocalist, it's a little harder um, because um, you know, and for me in particular, the guys that I like to play with have their other have their other things going on, and so it's it's harder to to pull a group together and, and do a like an Ebony and Ivory gig. We haven't really. Had one in a while because it's just, um, I'm working Saturdays, they're working Fridays, um, and and, 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 so, I mean, I, but I do love to go out and support and listen to the Maharis and, the, uh, you know, Peter Slims and Chris Ableton and Mark Lowry and, and all those kind I love the music they're doing. It's, it's all great. And when I can sit in, I, I, I do, you know, and, um, so, I mean, that answer, from my point of view, it's a little different being a vocalist. It's a little harder um, to sort of be in that renaissance, per se.
2: Sure, sure. Well, then let me ask you this. Let me go back in your life a little bit, and it mentioned in your bio that you had some really good memories at Jardines, and you had some really good memories at Chili's. Kind of talk to me about what it was like. It sounds like there was a real busy schedule and a regular kind of thing going on. Talk to me a little bit about when that happened and what that was like.
0: Gosh, yeah. There was, Jardines was just really fun, um, for the the uh, the atmosphere and the ambiance and I think what it did for the jazz community and it there was a place where a lot of people could play and you know, it it you felt like one of the cool kids if you got a if you got a billing there, you know? And uh the same with, like, the Blue Room, you know, you felt like you were, like, one of the cool kids when you're, like, I'm playing at the Blue Room,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: my name is on the Ticketmaster Ticket,
2: <laughs>
0: and, uh, you know, there was a time where, gosh, I mean, I was at the Blue Room and the Phoenix and, you know, the Intercontinental and, um, the Green Lady when they had first opened, but, uh, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but, um, Julie's, I went, Julie's, honestly, I went down there, I think, once or twice when I first, uh, met Everett, uh, and, uh, like, right in, like, middle of 2000, 2001, maybe, is when I met him, and, uh, he was, he was jamming out there, and it was fun because it was, like, intimidating, but yet, you wanted to jump up there and, like, and, and, and try it out, you know, and, and see what, See what you had and see what you I remember when I walked up to him and I was like I was told to come to find you and I I sang my songs and I was like, you know, so what do you think? Like when do you even start? And he was like, Well no, you know, you gotta do this and do this and do that and I and I just I guess I assumed that he would want to take me on as a as a uh, uh student, which he did. Um so I mean it was it was very uh mysterious, and it was very, like, you wanted to get into the in-crowd of the jazz circle back then. You wanted to be a part of, like like I say, quote-unquote, the cool kids, and go where all of the people were going, and doing all, you know, hanging out and meeting people, and um looking up to the Idas, and the Angelas, and the Millies, and thinking one day, you know, I'm going to have that, or do that, and all that stuff, so. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, you've mentioned Everett and over and over, and I realize he has been a pretty big part of your career and your life. So talk to me about the first time you met him.
0: <laughs> well, it was, like I said, it was at Jelly's, and uh, I was told there's an organ player who works for a vocalist. You need to go find him, and, you know, um, Steve Matlock, actually, he's a local uh, local jazz person. I mean, if you if you're in the scene, you definitely know who he is. Uh, I think he's with the Chaz ambassadors now. Anyway, he heard me seen the Jardines and he came up to me and he was like, um, I think this that you and him would make a really good match. So, um I thought he was a I thought Everett was a big papa bear. A little intimidating for sure, but I liked him. I thought he was really cool and groovy and um and I was really excited to, you know, to be working with it to start working with him. So
2: Yeah. Hmm. You spent eight years with him. What was it like? What did you learn?
0: What, how did you sum up the experience
2: of being with him and playing?
0: Um, always on your toes. Um, you, um, you know, a, a certain level of respect and professionalism, um, fun, grooviness. Um, But he, he set me on my toes. I mean, there was... I was definitely afraid of scatting at one point because I didn't want to look like, sound like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And there were times, on many occasions, when he would look at me and go, scat. And he's in the middle of a song, and he's not doing a solo, and the band's just sort of like at a holding pattern. And he's looking at me, and I've got the microphone in my hand, and I'm caught like a deer in the headlights. And I'm like, doobie, 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 do. <laughs> Um, that's definitely, you know, uh, a time that sticks out, you know, another time when he's just like, when, when everything's just grooving and, you know, everybody's getting on it, as he likes to say, and, um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, a lot of, like I said, a learning, just a lot of learning, listening and soaking in and the experiences of just, you know, all that. And then, of course, he's like a second, you know, he's like my dad's dad, so I, I love him dearly, and, uh. Um, even though we're not playing, you know, with each other that much anymore, uh, I still have, you know, mad respect for him. And um, he's still a big part of, you know, big piece of, you know, why I'm in the scene now. So,
2: Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the scene, I'm going to kind of jump to several specific things here. First of all, as you mentioned, you played at the Blue Room. You were at the Blue Room and you were discovered by a representative for the Kansas City Repertory Theater. What happened with that situation and what did it lead to?
0: Um, so I was, uh, yeah, I had a gig at the Blue Room and uh, there were there was a table uh, that was, you know, you could feel vibes from people and they, I could tell that they were just like, they were very like, uh, supportive and appreciative after each song, and they were very attentive as an as an audience member and i you 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 see, you recognize that when you're on stage and so you start to to throw you know things towards them a line in a song or a wink or a you know something like that and so break i you know did my use you, you know i like to walk around and there's people that I know that I'll go say hi to them or whatever and I stopped by the table and we started to Chit chat, and they were very complimentary. And um, the lady said, "You know, um, I I think you're great. And um, I'm from the the Kansas City. I'm from Kansas City Repertory Theater, and I know that they're they're casting for Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know where they are in their casting process, but I think you'd be great. Here's my card. Here's the name of the uh, artistic director. You know, maybe you should get on a call." And I'll I'll let them know that you're calling. And I was like, Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> so, I was so this was a Friday night. I remember, and it was like the week before my birthday. Uh, and I um, I got the call, and I like obsessed over it all weekend. And I was like, Should I call? Should I call now? Should I call later? So I like waited till like Sunday night so that it was like, the first message that the person got the next morning and I told them, you know, who I was and where I got the are the number from and come to find out they were still looking for a third do op for a Little Shop of Fours, um, called me in for an audition, uh, and I nailed it. <laughs> um, callbacks and I think on my birthday, um, I got a call that I got the part, and from there, it it, it went, I got, from that show, I got uh, Hairspray, a new dinner theater, and then I got invited back to do a Christmas carol at, back at the Rep at the end of the year. So this was all in 2012. It just went boom, boom, boom.
2: Very cool. Yeah. Well, you did mention a bucket list item, which was to Sing with the Salinas Symphony. What was that like?
0: Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. Um... It, 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 there's something about having that full orchestra behind you and hearing the pieces of the hearing the instrumentation of something that you've listened to on a on an album on a record to hear it being played live behind you. Case uh, in point, like "Summertime" or "At Last," In that beginning part of "At Last" when the violin. Comes in that nah, 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 nah. makes that hair on the back of your neck stand up, and like you just get goosebumps all over to just have that all around you, and knowing knowing that it's like there's a violin section that's playing that part, and the and the horns, and it's just so beautiful, and it's so humbling, and um, it was it was one of yeah, it's just an amazing experience to just have all of that instrumentation there for you, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's really, uh, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me ask you this. You've performed in front of a lot of people over the years. So my question is this. What's the nicest thing a fan has ever said to you?
0: I've had someone tell me that um, I sang a song that was her and her late husband's song, and she hadn't been able to listen to that song um, until she heard me sing it, and she thanked me for bringing that memory back um and I've had people tell me that they like the way that I uh interpret a lyric um and so those things like that that you know when you when you know that you're taking the time- taking the time to tell the story in a song that someone comes up to you and says I got, I got that, I get it and i like I like what you're doing, you know. Yeah. That kind of thing.
2: What was it like the first time you had someone coming up and get an autograph you know? <laughs> um, it's surreal. It's still
0: surreal. It's you know because they're like me. Like, come on. And it, it's. I mean, I I do it and, I, and I'm appreciative. But first it was a little weird. Like, what? What do you want autograph for? I'm nobody. Um. <laughs> uh, and it's what's funny now is uh, Lori Tucker. You know she she uh. She's a dear friend, and she hosts the um, jam session, and whenever I get a chance, I go down to the jam session at the Phoenix, and she always jokes with me. She's like, star, stage, screen, and television, and I'm like, oh, boy, just <laughs> <Stop> it. <laughs>
2: yes. Nice.
1: Very
2: yeah. Nice. So you mentioned Diana Krall. You've mentioned some people that have been influences for you. Tell me who you who your jazz heroes are.
0: Oh my gosh! I love Nancy Wilson, um, and I love Donna Washington, and I love Diana Carl. But there is something about Nancy Wilson, um, and uh, she the she just has this, you know, this 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 presence. It's so classy. And her, her lyrical interpretation is just so great and I just love the way she's just poised and she's and uh, I just love everything about her. I have like seven albums and um I wanna do like a Nancy Wilson tribute show where I, you know, like sing the sing the songs of that's like one of, that's another thing on a bucket list that I'd love to do. Um, is put that together and, and do a, a Nancy Wilson tribute show. Um you know, I just um, on the recording that we did um, uh, for the album uh, live at the at the Broadway Jazz Club that we recorded, I did uh, "Guess Who I Saw Today." This is one of my favorite tunes that she's done. Um, it's just I don't know her show delivery, you know, just everything about her. I Just think she's great.
2: <laughs> let's keep let's keep the nostalgic bone going here. Let me ask you this: If you could get into a time machine, you walk out of the Phoenix and you got that DeLorean from Back to the Future, and you could punch in the digits and go see anybody in the history of jazz. Who would you go see, and, and, and where would you go?
0: Well, I'd go to Harlem, uh, probably the Harlem Renaissance area time period, and I would um, love the, love everything, like, fashion-wise. I'm also the 20s and um, all of that, but I would love to see, like, the um, – the Sarahs and the Ellas and the 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 orchestras, you know, the Duke Ellingtons and the, all of that stuff. I would love to be in that big band era. That would be
2: awesome. So let me ask you this: as a uh, a Kansas Cityan for quite some time, what's the greatest thing about Kansas City?
0: Um, I'm like, i like I I call I say that Kansas City is like an onion. Um, you know, on the surface you've got some really great things happening, you know, the touristy things. You've got the Kaufman and, you know, the things that you see on the surface. But but I really like is if you peel back the layers, um, you know, there's so many different things on so many different layers uh about Kansas City that you can, that they're great, you know, the the theater and the niche, niche little areas and um, just the, um, the, not in a bad way, but the incestuous music community, you know, where everybody is. Supportive of everyone, I feel like, and you can look out in the in the crowd and and see a fellow musician just there hanging out, or um, to support, you know, wanting to be out in the scene. And um, there's just so much to do. There's there's so much culture. There's so much, you know, there's art and there's festivals and there's food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. And, you know, when I was younger in Kansas City, I didn't know that about the city. It took me, um, a while to sort of, I feel, get into that that cooler layer, that lower layer level of Kansas City to where, you know, I was connected to the theater scene and connected to the music scene and connected to the, uh, the art scene and just knew kind of the little fun ins and outs and those secret hidden gems and things like that. I think. When when someone comes to Kansas City and you you get all of the Huffington Post you know about oh this bar and that bar and and this this restaurant and that restaurant and this theater and da 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 but I always you know I tell people to find a local person who knows sort of that those ins and outs um, I think that's with any city but yeah I think that's what I like about Kansas City is all the different layers that there are to the city
2: yeah absolutely awesome. so let me ask you this it's a simple question but it's it it can be profound. Why do you love jazz?
0: There's there's nothing like it, you know. Yeah. And it people have been singing and playing the same songs for years, and it always takes on a different meaning. You know, you can approach. Everybody has their own approach. Everybody has you know it it, it means something different to to so many different people, but at the same time, it means the same thing. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um let me ask you personally, what's the greatest thing about waking up every day?
0: Uh um being able to do what I love for a living. You know? Yeah. Not only do I get to sing but I get to act and I get to do voiceovers and I get to I mean and it's it's I I and I have a day job that I love and I just I I feel really, really thankful that I I'm there's not very many people who can say, you know, that they're doing what they love to do for a living, and I and I truly, truly can say that.
2: Right on. Let me let me ask you this. If we hook up in 20 years and talk, and I say to you, like I did at the top of this interview, what's been going on, what are you going to be happy to tell me that's been going on?
0: Oh, I just got back from Paris. Um, I had a show over there. Um, my husband and I, <laughs> I'm <laughs> But you know, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary, um, and I've got a you know I'm going over to some other country or some other some place to do a show, and um, you know, just still living the dream. I think, yeah,
2: right on. Yeah, let me, let me ask you this: if if you could sum up who you are, you know, there's a lot of perceptions. Your friends, your coworkers, people that hear you sing, they all have a perception of who Ebony is. Tell me, mm-hmm. who you th- tell me who you think you are and the length of a tweet, approximately, a sentence or two. Just tell me who you are.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> How many characters in a tweet? I don't even I don't know
2: 144, but you can just stretch that out if you have to.
0: <laughs> who is Ebony? Oh, gosh. I am a lover of life. Um... I'm a am a, an honest, humble person, and I really, I just really, uh, I don't know. I, I I'm you know, I think honest, humble. I love life. I love to just have fun and enjoy. You know, I don't try to take anything for granted, um, and um, yeah, and. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have, like, music
2: in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Right perfect. That's, that's the perfect way to end right there. Thank you again for your time. Thanks for opening up, and good luck with everything.
1: Thank you so much, Joe. Have a great day. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the greatest jazz singers and those players in jazz from Kansas City and spots all over the world. And thanks to Ebony for her time and love of jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music my friends
0: love a man no way
1: neon jazz